You're listening to Irish Radio Canada and we're coming to you today from the Transport Museum in just outside Belfast in Northern Ireland. And I'm here with Glenn Cross. And Glenn was with us on a previous week where we were at the Ulster Folk Museum. Welcome back, Glenn, and thanks a million for taking the time. And we're going to share a different experience today. Yes, we are. Um, it's part and parcel of the Ulster Folk Transport Museum, but it's on the other side of the main road. So this is a separate museum which glorifies, looks at the uh, modes of transport which have been common and uh, uh, you know, known and loved by the people of Ulster. And the great thing about transport, you know, we're talking about planes and trains and yes. automobiles and uh, we heard a train yeah. go under a track, we walked over a track. We and we did, heard, yes. um, but it's planes, trains, automobiles and of course Belfast, um, unlike many cities, does have the plane component it with Bombardier yes. and that has the it Canadian does. connection. Well that would have way back when have been the Short Brothers Company right. who came over from London in the interwar period, the 1930s, because the quirky thing is uh, they believed it would have been out of range of German bombers to build planes in Belfast, okay. um, as it turned out with the fall of France. It wasn't out of range no. of the bombers, but nonetheless that's the start of building proper in Belfast and now part of the Canadian the Canadian story as well so when someone comes in here um, they're going to be greeted with a fork in the road yes. and a fork in the road is always causes well which way should I go first uh -huh. um, and uh, I do I say I do see an entrance so uh, over, over to our right I, I see an entrance. We're right at the top of hell you can see down the avenue yep. there ahead of us there's some beautiful old trees um, there's some lovely oaks in the grounds of this museum and we've got rhododendrons and what have you because it did actually used to be part of a large house at one time right. but now we have these big modern looking transport galleries here and we're going to go in top of the hill here and work our way down through a series of levels through different aspects of transport now one of when uh, on a, another show we talked about the titanic and of course the yes. titanic is <coughs> famous as having been built here and uh, it has its own history mm -hmm. but shipbuilding uh, aside from the Titanic Belfast has a, a long history and was probably the largest shipbuilding city uh, in the British Empire at one point well now I've just come back from Scotland and right. the Glaswegian will tell you that they had, they had but it certainly was up there producing uh, countless numbers of ships and in particular, of course, Belfast has this connection, as you said, with Titanic and the White Star Line. Right. The White Star Line actually had a hand-in-glove relationship, if you like, with the shipyard. They didn't get their ships built by anybody else except Harland and Wolf okay. Belfast, you see. So, um, in we go. And having talked about that here at the entrance, you see images from the shipyard on the wall. Uh-huh and some artefacts pertaining directly to Titanic in the central display cabinet there. There's a small piece of the hole, which you can okay. see there, um, fractured, which has been <coughs> lifted from the seabed. Now, I must say it was fascinating to see in the Titanic Museum how the rivets were being yeah. put in. It yeah. was 
Well, unimaginable mm. until you actually see how it was being done. Yeah. I see the um, hot water bottle. Indeed, and uh, a porthole there as well. And part of the telemetry which sent signals down from the bridge, I think that is. Uh, mm-hmm. And some of it, interestingly, too, there's a silver suturing showing mm-hmm. some damage from possibly the pressure a mile and a half down. Mm-hmm. But it's a story that fascinates to this day. Mm-hmm. And it's not just about Belfast, I suppose, because if you're talking about the passengers and crew, um, you're talking about people. It's an international story. Yes, Very much an international mm-hmm. story. Um, we we have this top area uh, where, where you buy your tickets um, mm-hmm. simply as a welcome area. But we're going to go now down a connecting corridor, which again crosses a railway line. This is a flying corridor, and down below you'll see a spur of track. And that actually is how they shunted a lot of the engines, the locos and the wagons in here when the right. building was first constructed. Um, because these, uh, you can see it just there, these vehicles, a lot of them were in Belfast in a very old warehouse that okay. building at a place called Wilhelm Street. I remember it as a child, but it was no way, it wasn't even a shadow of this wonderful building. Which you can see from the plaque, opened by the world's most experienced plaque unveiler, the Duke of Edinburgh, who's just retiring now from. So I hear it. So he opened that in '94. Yeah. Um, Let's go in and have a look. So the other thing we should mention is when somebody comes here, um, while we've been to the Folk Museum in a previous uh, show, Entry to this and the Folk Museum is can be is a combined. It so can be bought as a combined ticket, but should people hesitate because they're not sure about time, you know the top up. Uh, if you decide to leave the Folk and come down to transport, it's just 50p or something per person. It's not a okay. lot. Okay. So you can top your ticket up. And it's is it only valid for one day? Or yes, we or do operate on a one day. Basis. And somebody would definitely need to allocate a full day I to come. Say, yes. You're not going to. Um, you certainly will not do the folk park and the transport museum in uh, a quick one-hour well, uh, mad dash. You'll come away with the impression that you would love to have spent longer. If you if you think you're going to fly in the night, you'll certainly uh, realise you'll regret. Event, yeah, it's a wonderful place, but there's something for everybody. Now we're standing here on a very large circular balcony overlooking a turntable. Now the turntable, you can just about see the metal outline of it yeah, there. I can. That's from Athen Rye actually. And the turntable was here first. Okay. It still functions. There, there are plate covers there. You could actually open it up and move the thing around uh, manually if you wanted to. But you can see that lines up directly with the spur of track at each side and the big up and over door there. And Sitting in the middle of the turntable is a lovely Belfast and County Down railway engine there, um, which has been fully, uh, well, the paintwork and all has been restored. It's, uh, and it doesn't go out on the track at the moment. What time period? That's, again, about 100 years ago. Um, some of these engines would have been built in places like Glasgow, um, Newcastle. And we it's like looking at Percy and Thomas. Yes. And uh, it is brightly coloured, aren't they? Uh, yeah. Of course, this is before the standardisation of uh, railway companies. No, but it's uh, the still we're looking at steam, and as I say, so you know, for for uh, the Thomas the Train enthusiasts and who have their Percy's and their others have, have um, it's it's like looking at the the train yard in in 
this uh, That's right. uh, on the island there with the, the, the controller and all that. Yes, so yeah. The, the children that come here uh, love it and they all have their favourites, you know, and I suppose you're right, it reminds them of Percy and Henry and Edward and all yeah, those, those ones. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But the liveries on these engines, the different colours, reflect the different lines which we're running, some of which are narrow gauge, some of which are um, the Irish standard gauge, which is actually wider than. You know why the gauge of a, um, a tra- the tracks is the gauge, the width that it is? Well, the wider it is, my understanding would be is the more comfortable the ride. You know? But do you know where it evolved from? Tell me. My understanding is from the width of a two-horse chariot. Well, that makes sense, yes. I would say, if you look at it from above here, it's about right, isn't it? And I'm not sure if the narrow may be a one-horse chariot. Well, all I know is the narrow was cheaper to build and in inaccessible places or where the geography was difficult, it was frequently easier to construct. Mm. Uh, and there were quite a number of narrow gauges in Ireland. But you can see we, they all have different uh, interesting points about them. There's one down here on the, the left. You can see it has a, a pointed grill on the front uh-huh. of it, which of course is to get the cattle off the tracks or any animals which might be wandering on the tracks and that tells you something about the railway companies and how they felt about trespassers, be they four-legged or two-legged. Whereas what we would see on the front of ours would be more like a snowplow. Yes, I suppose that's right. Yeah. You would have to have that. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah and, and they're still to yeah. some degree during the... Yeah, yes. these, um, the, the little engine across the way with the strange shape to it, which is yeah. called an OG boiler shape there. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's a very old one. It's, uh, I think they call that a saddle uh, engine. And that's, that's over 100 years old. So we have all types and sizes. The largest one, when we walk down, I'll show you Maeve. She's the most popular because she's huge. Now, how many of these would have been built, or were they all built in Northern Ireland, in Ireland, or were they imported? A lot would have been imported. You'll see photographs of them being loaded on and off ships, you know. Uh, but the big one, Maeve, number 800 there, mm-hmm. you can see it. She was built outside Dublin at a big works that was called the Inchicore Works, mm-hmm. uh, which I think still functions up until well, at least the middle of the 20th century. That's out near Coynium Road? Yes. So she's the largest class uh, of engine ever built in Ireland. Well. And she would be, when they get down there, you'll see that the drive wheels are like six foot tall. Well. So well. She, she did a similar kind of thing to what everybody knows, the Flying Scotsman, the Mallard, all of that. So we're looking at engines on that side and we're looking at some carriages on this side. Well, more and engines and, 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 and carriages. Yes, and I see a diesel. You do, indeed. Um, we like to show uh, all sorts of uh, technology for propelling these um, railway vehicles and this one here the Great Northern uh-huh. it's a real bus you can see below yes. there it looks like a bus a road bus but yeah. it actually runs on the track with metal wheels yeah. and I believe it could be adapted um, if needed exactly. and of course years and years ago some of these would have been uh, uh, this type of thing would have been as a tram I, 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 I vaguely remember when there were trams in yeah. Belfast well yeah, well, we'll see the trams in a minute on yeah. a different level, but that is uh, a utility vehicle for maybe a line which is fairly short and doesn't have too many passengers. Right. 
So these would have been early ways to try and continue using the lines before all the closures that happened in the 1950s. Okay, okay. So. Right. We're down on the floor and I'm looking at wheels that are bigger than me. Yes, this is Maeve, uh, a beautiful green and black engine. Now, this is the one I was talking about that was built at Inchicore yesterday. And it's spelled M-A-E-D Sheva B Sheva, as I would have learned it. Or, or no, sorry, Bolsha. That's the Bolsha. Yes. Uh, M-A-E-D-B. And she, of course, was a, she a, a, a mythical queen. Maeve was, yes, yeah, Queen Maeve. Mm-hmm. That's the uh, uh, Queen Maeve's bull. As well. yes, yeah, that's, that's, that's right. Yes, yeah. So she's very strong. Uh, you can see the power even just looking at the components here in the drive arms and, and the wheels. And um, it's one of the engines that we can get right around onto the platform on the other side and walk up level with the car. I didn't realise that this level of engineering. I'm looking at engineer Inchicore Works 1939. Yes. That this level of uh, engineering has been done in Dublin yeah I don't think people do realise that and (coughs) unfortunately maybe a bit like the DeLorean motor car when it was created it was at the wrong time this is the cusp of the second world war right and things like coal even in the free state become short supply yes so it wasn't possible always to run this engine the way they wanted to and the other thing about it when it's fully laden with water and coal it weighs over 130 tons right so it's not suitable for most of the tracks in Ireland so it ran only between Dublin and Cork as far as I understand okay okay mostly because of the bridges being weak you know yes yes it's a, it's a monstrosity it's in the best term the engineering it's yes it is indeed because again the foundry that would have been necessary to yeah. to deliver these components um, something else as well indeed so we're walking up by so Balioghi to Kharki oh yes we, we have a lot of uh, signs taken off That's on the uh, rolling Dublin stuff. to Cork yes. um, the tender you can see how huge it is for, for holding all the uh, necessaries to make this thing fly along the line they do say actually it could have perhaps exceeded 100 miles an hour had the tracks been, been up to it but I think what I heard was that it had a tendency to start skipping once you went past 90 miles an hour and once you feel an engine's not uh, staying on the track, uh, especially at the weight this is, you, you'd never get it back on yeah, the track so if it came you, off. You, you don't push it, basically. Um, yes, if you want to step up in there, often we can probably look inside. And that's quite a roomy cab compared to some of them. And you can see here the lever, yeah, which, which would open those doors on the the, the uh, firebox, so, yeah. And it's a constant battle. Probably two men, I would think, shoveling away here to keep this to keep it stoked. Going. Yes. And please don't ask me what all the, the levers and uh, pulleys uh, are for. But you can see your pressure, pressure gauges, gauges there. Yes. Um, and, uh, clearly, the glass at the front of the cab here. If yeah. you give a good look at the view. track, yes, because that's very. Uh, yeah, this is telling the water level within the. It is. Yeah, that's right. It would be because again, if your levels drop too low there, you need to get 
top up. Of course, given that it's steam. And there would be hills on that route, um, so she has to be kept at the right speed to climb those. Indeed. Um, maybe there could be 10 or more uh, carriages behind it. And of course, in there Again, would be your coat, which yeah. is on, uh, it's on a chute, and um, that would be gravity almost feeding Down it where, where the shovels are going. Right. In, so. It's a very impressive beast. Very impressive. Very impressive. Now, we do have some pieces of rolling stock which are very old, and I'd like to show you something in a minute. Um, there's a guy up in Sligo. Yes. Um, opening, uh, has opened, a glamping site. Oh, right. And he has brought in some sleeping in. For, yeah, okay. and he's brought in a 747, and right. uh, he brought in trains and uh, all sorts of different right. well, things. Well, there's a saloon car number 47, and it's a beautiful um, piece of coachwork. You can see how fancy that is. That's not your rough and ready second class or third no. class. No. This actually was William Dargan, the father of the Irish Railway. So this was his moving, rolling office. Okay. It was usually pushed up to the head of the line when they were constructing a new line and he was responsible I think for hundreds if not thousands of miles of track in right. Ireland right. and William Dargan would use that as his office as uh, he supervised the construction of those railways so a man Beautiful. who yes, uh, gave employment to many thousands of navvies indeed um, indeed um, and unlike North America where the railway was used to open up the west yes. here because it's a relatively small island yeah. it was more uh, from day one it was a means of connecting A and B yes I suppose that's right you, you weren't um, opening up land for people to uh, access and cultivate and a new frontier yes yeah. um, it was in direct competition with canals uh, yes. and I mentioned uh, when I was talking in the folk museum about a canal uh, connecting um, the coal supplies that they thought there were coal islands yes. um, canals were used to transport goods like linen but the railways when they came in really superseded that because they would have had the speed yes and also the uh, ability to, to cut in directions that a canal really is point a to point yeah. b and that's it you're quite right yeah now i wanted to show you this third class wagon which um is very old and it's really just like a cattle truck which has got some doors and benches uh, for ready access for the people inside. You can see if you look, there's only one lamp mm -hmm, at night mm -hmm, time, mm -hmm. and that's right in the middle of the truck, um, so that the people up this end, well, they're in the You're darkness. You know. The closest thing to it would be uh, some of these tourist buses or trailers that are brought around where people now are brought around cities on sightseeing and you just kind of jump on into an open carriage because yeah, there's no windows. No, there's no windows. Uh, this uh, travelled along uh, the coast uh, and they would have had a canvas awning in very bad weather to pull down the side of it uh, to protect people from the sea spray or whatever. Yeah, fascinating. Should we move on to another um, yes, mode of transportation? We take a little break yes. um, and um, <coughs> move on and uh, on find that the, the, the railways. We've uh, seen the Titanic. Well, um, the main Titanic exhibit is yet to come. We'll pass okay. that on our way to the tram. And we have navvies here listed up. Uh, mm -hmm. And of course, the navvies uh, in the Canadian context and the Irish, the Irish. Um, 
when uh, the canal in Ottawa, 1826 to 1832, predominantly Irish workers, and then of course going across, uh, likewise the Lachine Canal prior to that in Montreal, um, and the, the Irish were very heavy into building canals, and then also when the railway started to come along, uh, they found labour there. And uh, I mentioned earlier how the Fitzgeralds from Culatin um, had uh, given 6,000 during the famine the opportunity to go to Canada around the Smith's Falls area, yeah. uh, and it was railway. 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 Yes, and, and the hardest and toughest work probably you could imagine, cutting uh, your way through mountains sometimes. Yes. But look over here, you can see it talks about the song of the shovel, which would have been a popular song uh, at one time among some navvies. And singing, you remember the folk park Roshin was telling you about? Uh, the linen, the the linen, linen yes. workers singing. Well, of course, if you're using pickaxes in a rhythm, uh, you uh, perhaps would like to sing as you do that, you know. Right. Yeah. So it's That's uh, Patrick McGill. Um, yeah. Yeah. And uh, the Navi poet, the Navi poet, yeah, from Dentes, mm -hmm. and the song of the shovel. Mm -hmm. Yes, indeed. Well, we'll make our way through to the next big hall here, and we're going to take a little break, and we will be back with you in a moment here on Irish Radio Canada at home and abroad. Um, Glenn, we've just walked into the Titanic Hall, and it looks to me like what we're seeing here would have been the um, decorative side of the Titanic, the cutlery, the silverware, um, the um, coffee pots yes. uh, and some of the artistic work that would have been in the cabins. Yes, well, well this side of the hall here, yes we're, we're trying to give a glimpse of life on board for the passengers but you know you have a glimpse as well of how it was maybe for the stewards and stewardesses and again the people who built the ship itself in the shipyard from the really important people like Thomas Andrews who mm -hmm. started his career as what they call a premium apprentice in mm -hmm. the yard in other words his family had to pay for him to have the privilege to go and learn the ropes but he was a premium apprentice other boys like riveters and boiler makers they'd have been apprentices too doing their seven year apprenticeship right. but of course they didn't um, they were on very low wages until they'd done their until seven years and then they began to earn better money if I'm not mistaken, I'm looking at a Titanic in Meccano. You are, yes. Um, I'm not sure where this came from. I only know, I think it used to sit in our library. And uh, there's another thing that uh, I haven't mentioned yet. You know, this museum has fantastic resources behind the scenes in our um, stores, our artifacts, uh, our oral history, the books we have, right. all sorts of things, music. It's a massive museum in concept as well as... And transport, while what we're looking at and have been looking at are the actual vehicles. Yes. As you just mentioned, books. Because yeah. the story uh, and how vehicles um, are integral in so many aspects of stories, etc. Yes. Um, that they, are in, the, in their own way, are often personalised. Yeah, that, that's right. Um, in fact, you having mentioned that over here, we can glimpse the trams and there are some mannequins on board the tops of these open trams uh -huh. and they are reenacting in the little scenes that they portray things that were noted 
in the inspector's notebooks. Right. We would have some artifacts like that, you see. And here you can see a ticket inspector shouting at two fellows here at the front of the tram. Oh, and the reason is the, the logbook records that they were two drunks and they were abusing a lady, you see, right. so they were kicked off the tram. Nice. Further back on the other horse-drawn tram, um, you can see a young boy is getting a ticking off because he has a milk churn sitting on one of the seats. Now, if you occupy a seat, it doesn't matter how you occupy it, you have to pay, pay for fair. it. And that reflects the early Belfast horse-drawn trams yes. and how the markets and the agricultural side of things creeps in. It's, it's an urban environment, but it's not quite totally urban, you know. And I see CNC ginger ale advertising on the side of the stairs. Yes. Many uh, factories set themselves up over uh, a spring, a natural spring well, yeah. built a factory over it and then began to bottle the water. Uh, yes. Yeah. So uh, something that again was um, early in its day but now is um, sought after. Oh yeah. And very, very um, You pay a premium. Oh, pay a premium now. <laughs> There's a tram. The Sutton de Hoth. Sutton Hoth, yes. Sorry, excuse my pronunciation. Well, yeah. But yes, that will be familiar to a lot of our visitors who come up from uh, down south. Yeah. And you can see very readily the just the, the beauty of the design of something like this. If you look at the backs of those seats, yeah. they swing one side to the other. So as the tram reaches the end of the line, you don't need to turn it around. You just push the back of the seat uh -huh. uh, a few degrees over, and then the passengers are all facing the right way again. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's a two-ended tram. In other words, the control mechanisms are at each end. Yes. So it doesn't have to be turned around. Yes. Um, and if, uh, I won't. It's not chicken wire, but it's it's the, it's cage. It's like cage wire is the protection. It is. So as nobody falls over the yeah, side. It's pretty basic, isn't it? Isn't it? Isn't it? But, yeah. Uh, you know, I guess. Uh, I guess it depended upon much you were paying as to what kind of uh, accommodation you got. Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> indeed. Um, looking over here now. You have a, a double-decker bus from, um, well, the later part of the 20th century there with Balmoral written on it, which, of course, is where the, the King's Hall is, the big exhibition centre yes. there in, in South Belfast. And beside it is something which I vaguely remember. These were taken away um, in the 60s. These are the trolley buses. I vaguely remember. Yeah. So, Because um, well, I was up here when I was about 10 years of age, mm -hmm. and I vaguely remember at that point there was the and I, they were red at that time yes yeah, so the trolley of course is the mechanism that uh, takes the electric yeah. off the, the wires and both I noticed the um, license plate on that yes my father explained to me how um, they, um, you got your uh, license plate here well You'll have to explain this one to me because you, you've got a knowing look on your face and I'm not quite sure. Well, you see, it's EOI yes. 4857. Yes. And what my father explained was that, um, given the uh, colloquial way of speaking up here, that at a council meeting at some point, as cars were coming in, uh, some councillor said, you know, we're going to have to have some way of identifying these. And um, the guy said, OI. <laughs> 
I'm not going to argue. <laughs> yes. Well, just I like this tram. This is called a Chamberlain. This one here. This is later on in the history of electric trams. And you were talking about the chicken wire around the the, the hose one. Uh huh. But look, the beautiful oh, yeah. stained glass on the beautiful the little opening louvers at the top. Yeah. yeah. So that's a very fancy one. It is indeed. This section you can see is dedicated to firefighting. Indeed. Um, and we have some uh, very interesting vehicles there. Uh, one of them was used during the Blitz on Belfast 1941, that one on the far left over there. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it has a couple of scars on the brasswork. Seems to, to be a DeSoto. Yes, uh, it's. Um, no, I'm not sure. It's a Dennis, I think. Well, maybe. Yeah, it's a Dennis. All right. Yes. But the. Uh, Somebody who remembered it said that he remembered that whole vehicle actually being lifted and moved along the street a few yards by the blast from one of the bombs that fell. Right. Um, you can see a very narrow Land Rover type there. Yeah. Um, that uh, is specifically used or was used for country lanes, for okay. cars and farm buildings, yes. particularly barns where there's hay and all yeah. of that. And it meant that they could get access up lanes where a bigger vehicle like these could, couldn't get Access. I love the uh, ladder. Yeah, the ladder we have um, portraying uh, the rescue of a cat. There. Yes. And I'll tell you a funny story about that. They wanted a cat um, to add to it. Yeah. And um, I think they, they spoke to one of the cat rescue homes. Uh, and it took them a long time to persuade them what the legitimate reason was that they wanted to get a dead cat and have it stuffed in that. <laughs> they got there in the end, you know. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Um, Horse-drawn carriage here with the uh, uh, the train on the train tracks, but uh, horse-drawn and luggage. Yes. So it, uh, this is the Fintna horse tram, and <coughs> Fintna branch line was uh, it didn't run right past Fintna town, so they had to have a, a short spur of line to get people from the train stop right into town. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was only a mile long. But you can see, yes, it's pulled by one horse. Mm-hmm. And not only is there this wagon full of luggage, but the one single um, carriage has first, second and third class on it. Mm-hmm. And I always think this is quite amusing because the, the people will tell you from Fintna that basically third is up there open to the elements. That's third class. Second class is here at the front near the horse and first class is at the back. The reason is of course you don't want to have to smell or watch the horse when it's possibly doing yep. its business. So second yep. class is closer to the horse than first class. Yeah, yeah indeed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry, are we heading into a different section? Yes, if we go further down the ramp to okay. the next floor below, we'll come to the cars. Will I find my namesake down there? Uh, well, uh, there's plenty of options there. Actually. <laughs> well, there's one or two anyway, but you can actually see there's cars dotted around yeah. this floor as well. But we'll go and have a look. I think um, you might be interested to see the, the DeLorean. Yes, Most I am. I'm, uh, yeah, but my dad's first car was the A40. Ah, yes. Well, that was very popular. Yeah. And that was a people's car, wasn't it? Yeah. The A40. Yeah. It's a small car, but... Now, um, it's funny how times change, but uh, the Anglia there... Yeah? Nowadays, the kids tend to associate that with Harry Potter. Okay. There's an yes. Anglia, I think, used in the Potter. Right. Forms. It's a different right. colour. Nice. But... Um, 
What you're seeing across the way there, the, that's the, some maquette. That's actually a plywood maquette of a DeLorean. It's a very early um, construction to show what it might possibly look like okay. in the development of that car. Okay. And of course, you know, John said that DeLorean, he came from a, a great pedigree of car building with uh, GM Motors in America. There's the Austin Mini. The Austin Mini. Yeah. An early one. That's a 1960. Really yeah. Nice red Austin. A I don't remember that. Well, I'll tell you, it's quite rare, I suppose. This was made out of fiberglass and was an attempt to keep the productivity running in the, in the aircraft factory okay. when times were hard. Okay. Um, I don't think it was terribly popular because other bubble cars and other minis... Uh, so, and it was made here in Sharp well, Brothers. Look, in the old days, they actually called it Short Brothers and Harland Limited. There was yeah. a connection there yeah. to the shipyard, but um, yeah, that's what they were making right. under license. Yeah, in uh, Short Brothers. Right. I didn't realise that better. there had been cars uh, uh-huh. produced up here. Oh, the DeLorean. A, there's an Austin for there you. There you go. <laughs> uh, the O Seven. Yeah. Yeah. The Top Hat Saloon, as it's known. Yeah. Um, very dinky and cute. Yes. Yes, I should get one of those. No, it would have been an expensive item, uh, relatively speaking, of course, in its day. Uh, and uh, although motoring was beginning to take off in the 1920s, there were very few cars on the road. I know. And, uh, now this, you can see an Austin being worked on here in this little garage workshop. Sounds and what I love about this is not only it looks authentic, it smells authentic. Yep. Know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this was when you didn't have any hoists. You had the the wooden um, planks covering the pit. Yeah, that's right. And you went down into the pit. Into the pit under the yeah. car. Yes. And uh, all that the bits and bobs that um, a good mechanic would would need and be able to change on engines in right. those days. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pray to place further on up. You can see the DeLorean there on the the ramp. This, this is one of the models that was uh, used around the test track at Dunmurray. So it was a team of volunteer drivers who kept driving them round and round and round to see how they performed, to get some data off the uh, engines and um, just to see what fell off first. <laughs> and the gullwing doors, of course, are iconic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, the piston arms there, you can see... Um, I believe it took all 17 seconds for the door to open. Right. So there is a story, and I think it's true, that a certain police force in the States was given two of these as pursuit cars uh, by John DeLorean, but they readily realized that uh, the doors didn't open fast enough. By the time they got out of the car, yes. the criminals would have hiked it. But yes, that's, that's the car that was built in pursuit of a dream, but came at the time of an oil crisis. Yes. Also, it's not very practical. DeLorean's idea was for, there's two seats obviously, but uh, two seats and a set of golf clubs behind them. There's not much room behind them. No, no, no. And then there was a problem with the emissions control that the engine didn't really... uh, Perform the way it was meant to. Yeah. Yeah. And the Rolls-Royce. Uh, behind us, and of course, in this in this side of the Atlantic, everything is referred to as Rolls Royce, whereas on the other side, it's Cadillac. Yes, Cadillac so would be the standard. Yeah, where they the quality. Yeah. Um, uh, 
Yeah, these all look so familiar. Uh, it's familiar. The, the, the MP car is very interesting because, uh, well, it, it's made in Germany, but uh -huh. it was owned by somebody here. And um, it, it's something that you could have used to cross uh, a, a river or a lock. And you can see when you look underneath how high the suspension is, those wheels. Uh, it's lifted right off the ground. The air intake would be up high and the exhaust as well. Is but I also noticed the red and the green, the navigational lights. The starboard light, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a klaxon or a horn. Yeah. Uh, so it's a strange uh, car, but it's an interesting one. Yes, mm -hmm. yeah, indeed. Um, MG, uh, the old console, the Ford console. Yes. Yeah. Now, this is our little sort of. Or the Cortina. Cortina. The Cortina. Yeah, this is uh, uh, Saw Doctor's red Cortina, but it ain't red here. No, no, it's not. It's just to, uh, I think, capture a time when consumerism was beginning to really become recognized. I don't know if you remember, but I remember that you had to go out and buy your own wing mirror uh, and, yeah, and, yeah. and then uh, install it. I, I remember actually my father drilling a hole in yeah. the wing of the car. Yeah, know, did. cars didn't come with wing mirrors. Yeah. Um, or seat belts then, were, they were extras as well. Yeah, of course, when you perforated the metal work on a car like that, you were awesome for Oh, cool. you, you were, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then this is the invalid car. This is a, a yes. This was the standard car for somebody with physical uh, disabilities in those days. Right. Um, and it's a single seater, you can see. Yeah. Easy to park. Yeah. Um, but now. Um, and it was electric, was it? I see it's AC. AC, yes. It's. Uh, a three-wheeler, yeah, and fiberglass, so no rust issues there. No, no rust issues. So here we're standing actually, when you were talking in terms of the 60s, we're also standing about some of the, what's the Cortina culture, um, which uh, was getting into... Yeah, well, if there's a green lady, everybody has that hanging yeah, in their house. Yeah, they, and uh, the, hair, the hair dryers oh, of, yes. um, that sat down on the head and... Yeah. And the, the television set's interesting, isn't it? Because it's actually reflected into the mirror on the top of the cabinet. Yeah. Um, which makes you wonder, well, they didn't have subtitles in there. No, they didn't have so. subtitles. Uh -huh. no. no, that's a Woolsey, is it? The Vanham Pass Princess. So oh, yes. That's uh, the Morris, isn't it, really? Um, well, there was another one, the, the Princess, but it was very like, it was, I thought it was, um, well, the Princess was the small rose. Yeah, yeah. But that's very like a Morris, all right. A lot of them have these distinctive chrome grills, don't yes. they, in those days? Uh, yes. Chrome, and of course, been. is again another bugbear. Uh, you wouldn't get it much now. No, not at all. Uh, starting handle, that goes back a bit. Yeah, you have to be careful and get it out. That's right. Took the arm off, yeah. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, Lancaster. Yes, well, this, this car is quite an expensive car back then. A manufacturing date, 1952, the Lanchester 10. It's not the everyday man's car, but yeah. uh, it's, it's roomy. You can see how roomy it is. Yeah. And, of course, um, if you look, it's got four doors. You know, it's, it's, it's a great big saloon car. Huh? It's amazing when you look at these things. And, again, we're now back to the Anglia. Yes. And you're saying this. The, the kids now all reckon. will say Harry Potter to you. Yeah. Because I think his is blue, but anyway, it's the same shape. Yeah. And you know, children are very good at recognising things. Oh, yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. So. This was probably the first car that was 
um, generally uh, that and the Morris Minor yes. would have been the one that yeah, kind of by the millions. Yes. Apart from the Model T, which of course goes was, back. Yeah, but but, um, but in, in mass manufacturing for um, consumers, yeah. As, yeah, where you didn't have to be very wealthy to even afford a Model T. You'd, yeah. These things were just churned out. Yeah. yeah. Fascinating. It is fascinating. Um, so does that cover the, the variety well, of vehicles? That covers the vehicles in these uh, 1990 galleries. Uh, the yep. original transport galleries, the lower ones, are at the bottom of the hill. Okay. Take a walk there. That's horse-drawn vehicles in uh, aviation, um, if you want to go down there. I, um, we should, I suppose, uh, give, the, give the listener a little flavour. And we'll take another break and pick up when we head down to the bottom of the hill. You're listening to Irish Radio Canada at home and abroad. So, Glenn, we're coming into another section down here. Yes. And I noticed it had marine outside. Yes, it does. We'll get to that in a minute. Land and sea. This is like a sort of a spine with ribs off at this building, the lower transport. And you can see on the side galleries there are different exhibits. This one on the hoof is really horse-drawn road vehicles. Um, and you can see all sorts of wonderful carts for all different purposes. I recognise that from way back for where uh, it was designed to put cocks of hay. Yes. And uh, they would be um, cranked up onto, yeah, onto that and brought from the, the field. The at the side yeah, and I know they, 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 it was like a fat flatbed truck. It actually mm-hmm. would uh, tilt down. Yeah, and uh, a water cart, for example, because uh, you know, oh, yeah. before men's water was common, yeah. people would buy water or get water out of a cart going down the street. Yeah, and uh, different liveries, whether that be County Antrim or County Down, people tended to paint their carts in similar colours. Yeah. I have to ask: Are any of these um, horses that have been stuffed, or are no, they're all? They're not, as far as I know, they're expensive sort of mannequin things. Well, they're re- they're yeah. really they're really lifelike. Yeah, they are. Um, and they're easily broken too. <laughs> and I see a thrashing machine here. Yes, you can see there the big uh, machine, which would be hooked up to a steam yes. engine to drive it. Yeah. Uh, lots of belts and pulleys. And of course, a noisy thing too. Yeah. You, I remember my own grandmother saying you would hear the threshing engine coming along the lanes for miles. You would know yeah. it was coming. Well, there's the metal wheels as uh, well. And the farmers would hire that, and all the hands would come and they would yeah. help to get it done as quickly. And that was where, in the Irish context, the word metal. Mm. I don't know if it was used up here. A metal road? No, metal. Oh, right. And metal was where people came and helped oh, each okay, other. Right. So there was the metal. Right. And well, I've never uh, heard that before. Yeah. So now we have the barrel trailer. Ah, caravan. A caravan, yes. Uh, or the com- bow top. Complete with its lovely little sort of domestic touches of um, a sort of oil cloth inside there and a yeah. little stove. Quite a, quite a good stove and chimney and everything. Yeah. Um, so comfortable. And you yes. can sleep with maybe three or four people in there. Yeah, yeah. And of course, they used to be on the roads yeah. uh, many years ago. Yeah. And you often had the tinkers at the side of the That's road right. um, doing the metal. Doing their play, mm. applying their trade. Yeah. Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But it's lovely yeah. to see these things in their context here. Indeed. Um, yeah. Um, and then we're, uh, well, we're going down to the bog. So we have the ass with the. Um, the turf baskets. Indeed, exactly like the type of thing Bob makes up in the foot. Indeed, yeah. Out of willow. That's right. And, and a slipe, which is just really like a big... It's like a sled. thing, yeah, which yeah. is for pulling stuff. Uh, it doesn't have wheels, it just has runners. Yeah, yeah. 
Fascinating. Yes. We have a threatening machine. Um, again, there are more vehicles here. Whereas before, those were very much utility vehicles for, for farm work. Here you have some of the lovely carts and gigs, uh, little jaunting cars, and things that people would have enjoyed, apart from anything else, to get them from A to B. So, you said a word that is now in common parlance, mm-hmm. the word geek. Yes. What did a gig mean in this kind? <laughs> well, all I can say is a gig looks like that. Um, yeah. I don't know where the word comes from, um, but uh, y- you can see that one, for example, um, seats four people, yeah. front and back. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like what the, the um, and I see a dog cart. Yes. A dog uh, cart would uh, have a, a box underneath for storing yeah. things. Uh, and and then one here where you would they it looks like a doctor's bag in the back. So you know that's the one where you see people sitting sideways yes. on the jaunting car. And yeah. I think they still use those in tourist spots, don't they? Sometimes they do down in, uh, in the ring of, uh, if you want to go down to Killarney, and yeah. there's a few other spots that uh, do it as well. Yes. Although I heard someone mention that in Killarney now there's a slight issue with having the jaunting cart because of the performance of the horses. Right. Really? <laughs> <laughs> now, you've got the most rudimentary form of transport here going back a bit further. Sedan chairs. Yeah. A um, couple of examples there. And of course, in many towns and places like Dublin and Belfast, you know, the streets would have been full of muck. Yes. And so posh people, especially in their good clothes, would rather have been carried somewhere than to have tried to walk it. We're just going a short distance. Yeah, so these are the, the old, uh, what would have been the carriages, the, yeah, original, the, the original bus probably. Bus before buses really, yeah. yes. These are for um, Bianchi cars and that. They're for carrying um, large numbers of people. And brakes. Yes, and that's right. You can see that the uh, yeah. big shoe brakes there. Yeah. Just friction, really, of them yeah. on the And the stagecoach? Yes. Or what would have looked like a stagecoach from an American terminology that would have right. called it a stagecoach. And, and your um, lamps at the side there, yeah. um, different types through the periods, but um, if you all got a reflector on them, um, whether they be carbide or whatever, but um, you'll often read in the petty sessions that the police find people for not having a light <laughs> on their vehicle. Yeah. Particular their bike. Yes. Yeah. So you notice that again the uh, the brake lever is on the um, right hand side. Right hand side. Yeah, that's interesting. Isn't yeah. When you think about these things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now this is probably the fanciest horse-drawn vehicle. This is um, a state chariot, which um, was presented by the Marcus of Abercorn. Um, but uh, you can see the crest on the door there. Right. And of course, there would have been coach builders all around the country at one time. And this is the height of that craft, being able to laminate our paint to these. When you talk about coach builders and horses and transportation, yes. uh, my understanding was that at, I think it was a day's journey on a horse was approximately 12 miles, I think. So every 12 miles was where you would have had uh, the busy post or yes. uh, an inn for a change of horses or yes. whatever. Yes, that's right. Yeah. The word frequent. Uh, the ability to do that was, was, was easy because there were so many um, coaching inns. Yes. And I see a sign here for the Ulster Coach Factory yes. on Montgomery Street in Belfast. That's right. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's yeah uh, certainly to come into this, it, it connects 
very definitely with where we've come from and you know all these kind of things can be taken for granted because it all looks so simple now to go out press a remote control and the doors open yes. and in many cases um, with the current technology your uh, engine becomes active as you approach the car whereas you need it at least you have to be sufficient enough to get the horse ready and get it uh, attached to the vehicle that's right um, and all the preparations that were necessary in order to go on any type of a journey yes yeah. Now here we have uh, what's called the flight experience and what you're looking at there is the entrance is actually part of a nacelle or the pod for an engine yes. which was provided by Bombardier. Right. Um, those costs are a huge amount of money to make but that one I think was uh, a gift from them to us. You know, it's only right. a partial nacelle but it's interesting that they used it as the entrance. It is indeed. Now the, this exhibit charts the history of flight not just here in Ireland but uh, for the young people to understand generally the Montgolfier balloon there you have a model which uh, illustrates how hot air can make an object like a balloon rise. Yes. Um, so they can press the button and make it and go up to the ceiling. Okay. And then an explanation the there basket. with the basket that they were afraid when they sent uh, the first balloons up that there wouldn't be enough air up there or something would happen. So, so the first passengers were um, a duck, a sheep, and a, uh, a rooster. So the livestock. In that scenario, situation where the canaries in the mine. Exactly. Yeah. But I think they all survived. Although one of them broke a foot. I'm not sure what it was. That looks. For that looks familiar. Yes. Uh, it's a, a picture of some people standing on the saddle of their bike or on the handlebars, looking over a fence, a galvanised fence, in order to watch a football match, probably at Linfield. Well, or no, yes. or no, it was uh, you're, an remembering, you're remembering football matches where people did that, yeah. and they climbed up on anything, lampposts and roofs. Yeah. Yeah. But yes, that's, they're actually watching an air show there. Right. But yes, they're all using their saddles as a, a makeshift as a platform. <laughs> <laughs> now, this uh, replica here is a very accurate replica of a plane Harry Ferguson built. Uh, of course, Ferguson's better known for his um, creation of a tractor system. Everybody's heard of Massey Ferguson yes. and Ferguson Ford. <coughs> well, Ferguson, yes, he was a great engineer and he did develop this um, wonderful system which made tractors much more efficient and safer. Mm -hmm. But he was also fascinated with flying. And just six years after the Wright brothers had achieved their um, first unbroken flight mm -hmm. powered aircraft, mm -hmm. Ferguson went about designing and flying his own aircraft in 1909 in, in, in Ireland, up here in the north. Mm -hmm. uh, I think his wife eventually persuaded him to give it up. It was so dangerous. Mm -hmm. But you can see what a wonderful structure oh, that is. Yes. Uh, mostly wood. Yeah. And the cloth over it, of course, is good old Irish linen. Linen. Uh -huh. Yeah. And uh, it's really just a souped up car engine, really, yeah. with a propeller yeah. on it. Now, the wonderfully space age looking uh, object here, this is our um, vertical takeoff aircraft called the SC 1. As people sometimes say, well, that's the flying bedstead, but that's a different thing. This is a built here in Belfast. You can see some video footage in the background. Oh, yeah. yeah, and yeah. This would be feeding directly into the development of the Harrier jump jet. Okay. Because this was all new technology, how to control a vertical takeoff aircraft. Now, um, whilst the Harrier 
you know swivels completely the the exhaust from the engine um, to alter uh, the way the thrust. Yeah. Look at how complex this is and how the pilot had to be on top of his game. You have two thrusters, thrusters down underneath here. and one at the back, so okay. you've got to balance it. Yeah, balance the switch of power there. So so you can realise that a test pilot earns his money doing this kind indeed, of thing. Indeed, indeed. But it's glorious in its uh, wonderful silver um, metal uh, casing there. Indeed, the, yeah. The SC1. Yeah, yeah. And then this, which we'll go up and enter in a little second, is the front part of um, another aircraft built by um, Shorts in Belfast. These would be the um, workhorses which still fly around the world uh, and they, uh, they still fetch good money when they, they change hands um, because they don't need a very long runway. Right. Um, and, uh, oh, so that would have been a propeller? Uh, what's Prob that to uh, like it's propeller, the propeller, propeller rather yeah, than jet. Yes. So it starts with a short sky van yeah. uh, and it's developed larger and larger aircraft and right. what we have here is part of the fuselage. Oh because man. I know like the um, propeller um, powered don't require the same length of runway as jet. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Um, so, just take a look inside. Well, there's a lot of interactive stations. You can see there's stuff about air traffic control and what have you. But um, here we are. This is a, an SD360, this is called. And the 360s, as I say, still fly in many different liveries around the world. Uh, a lot of them would be in South American countries and African countries. Right. And they will carry quite a, a good uh, payload right. for passengers. Yeah. Um, but I remember as a youth, um, seeing these uh, well being developed and delivered from Belfast, there was a lot of people yeah. flew over Belfast at yeah. one time. Yeah. Um, they they were also used as short hop aircraft, for example, Belfast to the Isle of Man or Blackpool. Right. And um, some people had very um, uh, flattering names for for them because uh, a small prop aircraft in a high wind is uh, is a bit unsettling on the. It stomach. can be. It can and, be. Yeah, uh, they called it. Uh, well, I'm not going to repeat Well, I know. Well, I used to, we used to refer to these as being on white knuckle flights. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. um, but because say, uh, they were white knuckles. Uh, but, uh, you know, the twin prop, I know, is, is still. Um, Bombardier still produced them. Mm -hmm. And uh, they're used in commercial aviation quite right. a bit. Oh, they have a whole um, different series of Q, Q series aircraft in that, which are to link home airports. Uh, so then we have uh, some interactive stuff here that if someone sit down and get a history of flight and all that kind of stuff, you can sit at a terminal and mm -hmm. get all information and as well. Um, they can have a go at uh, you know air, air traffic control or get a feeling for what that means. Uh, right. And, uh, it's, it's, it's a dedicated area to the history of flight. Well, then fascinating. Mm -hmm. it really has been, and it has been a pleasure chatting. Um, have we come to the end? We pretty much are at the end okay. of what's available at the moment. Good. Well, it's been, it has been fascinating. Another uh, ship here on our right. Yes, all these models the would be um, things that were built in Belfast. And yeah. Those are the models which were produced before the actual ship was commissioned. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and as we said at the beginning, if anybody wants to uh, find this, we're no more than 15 minutes or so outside Belfast. 
uh, public transport will bring you up here uh, to come up in a taxi and uh, websites are out there you can find information open from 10am uh, until late in the evening at, during the summer season and um, 5 o'clock yes, 5 o'clock okay, yes. um, I see before we walk out the door we're, we're into the win win winner, winner's enclosure uh, yes uh, you can see here um, the rest trophy um, yeah. which was run uh, for many years uh, here in the north and uh, attracting big crowds and drivers from Italy, you know, France different places uh, and, and there's a collection there of some of the racing bikes and some of the trophies indeed, indeed. well, Jane Cross, thank you very very much indeed for spending the time it's been a real pleasure and uh, I hope it encourages some of the listeners to take the time when they come to Ireland to come north and visit uh, the Folk Museum and the Transport Museum here in uh, outside of Belfast. Yes, please do visit us. We're only closed for a short time at Christmas. We're open all year round. Thank you.